Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Figure out 
how you want to, you know, make sure you're in tune and you're not following for the fool's goal, following for the okey-doke when it comes to the NBA Summer League. So, D. Wills, what's going on, man? You in the house tonight. Man. You got the one mic session going. How you doing, brother? Man, it's feeling good. It's good to be in the uh, back in the studio with you, uh, hitting it on all cylinders. And uh, in the one mic format, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact um, when we can get in a space where we can just stretch our legs um, and get deep into a couple of issues. Um, it's been a well-received podcast along with, you know, the main show, but this is just another angle. So I'm excited about the conversation tonight. There's a lot of good stuff that I think we can get into. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm hyped. Um, you know, on the big show, I can't wait to get uh, – Phil T back in the mix uh, with us, but uh, you know we just gonna keep the dialogue moving tonight. Yeah, summertime is like you know, um, it's like those uh, you know where guys put out those you know back in the, in, in the in the nineties, late nineties, mid nineties, early two thousand hip hop days where you had the core crew, and you had to wait for the core crew to reunite for that album. But in between time, guys did some guest features, and, you know, they might pop up on the R&B joint. You know, you might have Q-Tip break out from Tribe and do a little R&B guest feature <laughs> on some R&B joint. You know, Method Man doing his thing on the side of Wu-Tang. You know, Big Boy uh, or Andre 3000 might pop up on a remix, you know, on a posse cut or something like that, on somebody else's album. Because, you know, in the mid-'90s, the feature was really – almost as important as who was, whose album actually was. It's like, well, who you got on it? You know, who they got a song Sorry. with on the album? And those different meshing of styles and flavors, you know, really brought a different element and, and really dig, uh, defined that time in hip-hop. That's what we're trying to do here with the one mic. And, you know, summer is a good time to expand that, you know. We're kind of all off in different spaces doing our own thing. Uh, we come together when football season starts because you've got to cover the league. So this is our, you know, these are our guest features where we bring in different people. You know, we get a chance to kind of, you know, throw out an EP with a one mic. It's like our little EP, you know what I'm saying? We get a feel for, you know, our own individual styles and such. I love the format, man. Obviously, you're the Suge Knight of this whole situation, kind of crafting this, man. And the listeners out there don't know, man, D. Wills is a very, very talented dude uh, who who helps us figure out. He creates a space for for myself and D.A.D. to kind of just, do our thing, um, and he handles the logistics and the, and the business piece of all of this, and so he holds us down. So, again, hats off to you, man, uh, and I appreciate you for creating this format for us to kind of, you know, get out there and, and do a little freestyle and stretch our legs, man, expand the brand. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's what it's about, and, uh, you know, what what I like about tonight and uh, is, is real special um and I think we'll get a flavor. I think when uh, Teron was on, uh, you've been on, uh, Phil's been on. What I love about this format and working with y'all in this space is um, people get to see your versatility. And like you said, I think that's a great analogy to some of the, the hip-hops, uh, you know, uh, summer stuff where when you get to see somebody doing R&B or the, you get to see them expand their game, it's a way for them, for you to see them in a different light. You know, um, and kind of like, wow, look sideways. I, I mean, I, I sat there and watched the uh, unsung with Kid and Play, and just reminded me of, you know, a time when, um, you know, 
you know, the, the people, you know, what the, the folks who laid it out and used the soundtrack as a space for uh, for expanding their game a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I listen. Ain't no hurt nobody when they when they when they, uh, when, they when they talked about that as part of the unsung. I was like, oh, that was a tune, but it was you know, it kind of just gave them another space, another genre along with the the movie to do it. So that's what we do with one mic. We try to twist it a little bit. Just when you think you might know the game change, we want to give you something different tonight. We want you to, to kind of think about, wow, you know, I thought I knew this dude, but this dude is coming at me on a whole nother angle. And it's hard to catch when you think about, uh, you know, our, 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 our primary podcast format where, you know, we kind of play it off each other. Uh, we really got a really good kind of going back and forth. But, you know, we understand how to win because we share the ball. <laughs> and there are times when we know to go to the corner. But this one is straight ISO game at times, and you might hear me just be silent. Be like, I'm hitting <laughs> with it, and I'm, I'm just – I'm probably over there talking to the coach. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like the old Sixers. I'm over there talking to Billy Cunningham. And uh, let Doc go to work. You know, I don't have anything else to say. I'm not getting anywhere near the ball. It's time to go to work. And we're going to do this for four straight trips and hope you can stop it. And what I love about this is, you know, this is one of the most dynamic cats uh, that I'll say in, 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 in uh, sports talk radio. And y'all going to really get a flavor for him tonight. Uh, he laid out some of the stuff. That's part of what Mike, you know, if you're a hip-hop player, it's like being a cypher. It's like just passing it. Cat just does what he does. And then, you know, I'm that cat behind the mic, you know, with the DJ. I could drop a beat at any time. I could do anything. But we we, we don't know where this is going to go. And uh, and that's the part that I love about it. We're going to open this thing up. This is kind of how we just kind of do this introduction. We call this this is the section around we're going we're gonna, to kind of do the uh, opening mic with Game Changer. And I, I'm going to put a little twist on you, man, because this, this is it. And, and there's no preparation on this. Um, but I want to I want to get a sense for how you feel about, you know, in both the NBA and now we're seeing a little bit in the NFL, a little bit more. Talk a little bit about, and we'll get into in, in the NFL free agency, and we'll get the NBA free agency. But I want to talk about this, the dynamic that's happening between the athlete, right, and the owner, like the power structure. There seems to be the athletes are 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 taking on. Obviously, this athletes' rights, like this this movement we see in college sports is evolving into a program. Do you feel like athletes are organizing in a way that's different, that is affecting some of these dynamics that you see between owners and, 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 and athletes? How are you seeing that dynamic change? Man, and, and for the listeners out there, I'm glad you asked me this because I've been thinking about this, and this has been milling around in my head. And he's just having a – again, this is not on the itinerary for the night. This is not something that we, 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 we talked about, I was going to talk about, but I'm glad that he asked you this because this has been milling around in my head for a second. And I think what you have today is you have um, a situation, the game has changed, all right, uh, not to be cliche about it being a game changer and all, but the game <laughs> has changed. You know what I mean? 
and things are different now. And the, the key, what's at the crux of this difference is that in the past, the conversation, the information around contract negotiations, the information around player organization relationships, um, that information was controlled by the organization as far as it getting out to mainstream media. And so the organization was able to shape, uh, control the messaging around uh, player transactions. Um, And in today's age with social media and players having a social media presence, it's 50-50, if not 60-40, in favor of the players as far as getting information out about what's going on with the player's contract. And so what that has done is that has given players the flip side of what used to happen. In the old days, the organization could leverage the media to get the fans on their side against the greedy athlete, right? Because that was the the perception back then was that the athlete was greedy and trying to milk the organization for all the money. Well, the narrative has switched today. I think the narrative has switched in part because the athlete can do more messaging because of social media. But on the on a, another level of that is fans also have access to players, and players are more humanized today. So with that, fans are more or less likely to side with the organization because they have more of a visceral, albeit a, a, a mitigated connection, um, a filter connection through social media, they have a, a, a greater connection with the professional athletes. And I think, you know, that has empowered the athlete to at least, again, I feel like today they're on equal standing as far as the messaging and the fans being able to rally around the player, the fans being able to get information and say, well, the organization is screwing them over, or this is a bad deal, this is a good deal, or he's got to get his money while he's got to get it because – we all know that he's on the short. I think also today fans are more knowledgeable about the life cycle of an athlete from from that perspective of there is an expiration date on the human body, you know, as far as putting yourself through the rigors of these different sports or whatever sports you're playing. You know, and, again, I always joke around it might be on your knee. It might be on a shoulder. It might be on an elbow. You know, it might be a bad – it might be – tatted on your back, but every athlete's body has an expiration date on it somewhere where it's going to be done, and it's going to say, we can't do this anymore. And I think the average Joe is more aware of that because more and more of the population has been an athlete as a kid. Um, and I think that's something that's different than in the past. The youth sports growing as they are, more people can relate to the athlete um, from that perspective, because they've been an athlete, they understand it, the the risks that these guys are taking. And again, you have documentaries, uh, ESPN, all of these stories, and the stories of athletes are being told more. And so, with that, sports entertainment becomes a more of a connection with the athlete, and I think that empowers the athlete. Now, what I will say is, I don't think athletes are as organized as they could be. I think social media is allowing them to kind of leverage their connection with the fans against organizations at times. Because, again, if the Cowboys, you know, for example, the Cowboys and Des Bryant, if the Cowboys don't do right by Des Bryant and Des Bryant goes to another team, then 
then his organization is going to be his fan. The fans of the Cowboys are going to be questioning the organization as to why did you let a supreme talent like there's Brian walk and get nothing for it, you know? And so then the fans are going to be looking at Jerry Jones sideways like, okay, we know what was at play, right? We heard their side and we heard your side, and now we can make our own decision. And in the past, the organization has been able to control the flow of information, and they can't do that anymore. So I think that's leveled the playing field, and if not, tipped the scales in favor of the players. Now, the scales could be tipped even more if the players did unite um, at, a, at a more intensified level. I think there is – some unity and some uh, coalescing around a particular message, but I think it's in the infancy stages of something really tangible being on the horizons as far as players beginning to advocate. But, it, you know, you got guys in the NFL pointing out NBA contracts. There's nothing in the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL that says the NFL player can't sign a guaranteed contract. You know, there's nothing that says that. And it will, but it won't happen until somebody asks for it. You know, until a group of guys say, we're not signing unless we get a guarantee. It's going to take a guaranteed contract for me to sign with your team. And they get one of these owners to break. You know, they get an owner to break and say, you know what, guarantee my deal and I'll sign with you. You know, until, you know, they get that, that NFL version of LeBron um, or, you know, and one of these quarterbacks, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, Andrew Luck. Russell Wilson, they could probably leverage themselves for a guaranteed contract because their brands are big enough, you know. But until somebody does that, you know, then everybody is uh, is playing by the old rules in the NFL, you know. It's the same thing that LeBron's doing, leveraging his team, you know, signing these one-year deals. He has the leverage to do that, and he understands his leverage. And I think that's another piece of the situation that players are, are in a position today. They understand that, you know, fans – follow the game at a more intense level than ever before. And because they follow the game at, a, at such a high intensity, they know just as much about as what's going on. And the organization can't lose great players and still talk about it's trying to win. You know, fans want to see organizations sign the good players, keep the good players, find new players. And if they're not doing that, the fans are not going to support the organization. So if you're a great player, you have some a very interesting leverage. So, you know, I think that's where we're at today. You out there, D? What's up? So, as we look at some of these deals and some of the things that have been going on, you know, the NFL (laughs) – Man, this is uh this has been a crazy couple of weeks for the NFL. Uh you got the fourth of July weekend and you got a couple of different players. John Pierre Paul, um, playing with fireworks. Boom his finger off. I really don't have an articulate way to say that because it was a, a very uh low brow move. Blew his finger off, CJ Wilson, linebacker for the uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers, blew his hand up. Uh and I just I'm I'm wondering, man, what what's what's on what's on what's on these brothers' minds? I can't <laughs> I can't understand how a grown man fails um the the basic litmus test of can you ignite a firework 
without blowing off a of body part. Um, God bless these dudes, um, and he blessed these dudes with great physical ability. Um, it seems to um, compensate for um, what potentially seems to be a lack of intelligence. <laughs> There's no other way I could put it. Um, so thank God that these brothers are as big and as gifted and physically gifted as they are, because I don't understand how this was, how this, how this even happens. I really don't. And when you're talking about John Pierre, uh, Jason Pierre Paul, um, I just when it, when you're on a franchise, you, you've been franchise tagged. You got a one year tenure in front of you that you basically have to sign, or you're going to sit out. And if you sit out, they're going to dock you pay. And you blow your fingers off um, playing around with fireworks um, as a grown man. I don't get that. Um, yeah, I, that that I don't understand. So th- there are situations where you see athletes doing very intelligent things, and then you have situations like this where it's like, you know what, man? Thank God for football because if it wasn't for football, I don't know what these two morons would be doing out in the streets. You know what I mean? You got two six foot five, two hundred sixty pound. Goofballs, and that's the only way I can put it. I don't know Jason Pierre Paul personally, and all I can do is uh, judge him on the actions that I'm aware of that he's engaged in. And this this rises to another level of stupidity that I just cannot, in any way, shape, or form, um, vouch for, co-sign, or agree with. You feel me, D. Wills? I just can't. Man. I just can't. <laughs> You can't, you kill him, your level. Especially boy. in the contract here, man. Especially yes. in the contract here. Yeah, yes. come on. Yeah, I, I, yeah, nah. You got that much money? Somebody do the show for you. Like create your yeah. own sphere in your show. I went to spend some time with my dad at his at his uh, long term care facility, and they did a show for them. Right, and I'm like. If you got that much money, you can create your own show. You don't have to touch anything. What's this infatuation with having to touch stuff? When you, like you said, when <laughs> right. you talked about the most important thing you got going for you, your physical health, is create your living. Why would you want to do anything that has, has, a, has any cost in you, anything in your career? Like you said, in particular, the contact year, I'm like, and now I'm like Michael Jackson. I got a mask on, I got a glass of hat. Uh, look like my skin is pale. It like, you know, with the bond on, I'm protecting myself. I'm living in the You know, it's like, why, why are you out there buying stuff like you, like you got a small forces unit and you trying to have all these fireworks and everything else? Come on, man. Even if you me. did, even if you did want to do that, <laughs> even if you did want to do that, even if you did, okay, so let's say you want to be that guy, right? And every neighborhood yeah. has that guy, that guy that yeah. wants to go. He he wants to try to compete with the city sponsor show, you know, That's the right. show where they put a couple hundred grand into it, and he want to compete with that. And he lives on the corner, on the cul-de-sac in your neighborhood, so he want to clown a little bit. And it's like, bro, you know, even if you want that guy still doesn't blow his hand off. He may be obnoxious. He may be popping off fireworks way too late. You know, he may be making your dog go nuts, but. He's going to get up and go to work the next day with all of his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? As, a, as obnoxious as that guy is, 
he's going to get up the next day and go to work, whatever kind of a job he has. If he's in sales, he's in education, he's going to have all of his fingers. It's going to be there. It, 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 so I, the fact that, again, thank these brothers was blessed with size um, to uh, mask what they lack in intelligence. Because I, I, I can't understand it no other way. No other way, shape, or form can I understand this other than you just ain't that smart, JoJo. <laughs> and, and the thing about it, everybody's like, well, what do you do? You can't regulate stupidity. Like, there's no point, Larry. You just grown. And that's just stupid. You just, you can't regulate that. And I don't know what that means for your contract, but there, there's no level of regulation that the NFL could do for that. Like that's yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and that's and that's 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 a part of uh, our society. I think you know we we try and protect people from themselves way too much, um, and you know I think to an extent we remove some of the incentive of making smart decisions. <laughs> you know what I mean? We take away yeah. some of the incentive to make smart decisions because the safety net, um, even though, you know, some may argue that the social safety net could be much stronger, I think the social safety net covers up a lot of stupidity um, and, and dumb decisions that people make throughout their lives. You know, as someone who works with young people um, and people who are in their formative stages, uh, you know, we see people make dumb choices even with all of the information necessary to make the right choice. We still That's see right. people make the wrong choice. And honestly, sometimes I believe people got to fall on their face to get it. You know, I can give yeah. you as much information. Um, I can inform you. I can, you know, lay out all your options in front of you. And in the end, you still have to want to make the right choice. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes you I think you go you. overboard. Go ahead. You're right. You have to do you. And sometimes you is being stupid. And, and yeah, we, you you got to go to that. Sometimes I always say there are times when folks have to bottom out before they and, can. You have to, you have to have a level of readiness. And a lot of times folks don't have a level of readiness. You know that. Like half my battle, you got to have a level of readiness. And there are times when I don't have a level of readiness, but I'm not blaming anybody else but me. You know, so absolutely, you, you got to be able to, you got your ears have to be open up to listen in here. Yeah, some of these cats ain't ready until they get to something like this. That's when they're ready to listen. It's crazy. But I, I, want, yeah. I want to switch a little bit to this on you. So that craziness with free agency, you got the, you got some things happening. The Des Bryant situation, you know, what's happening with Denver. They end up getting the deals. But this whole um, up to the last minute, I know some of this is just part of kind of bargaining and stuff like that. But there is a legitimate discussion around value and positions. You know, some of these, as we've been talking about, the power that players are getting in. You know, running backs don't have the same kind of leverage. Receivers are, are doing, you know, this. You know, you have people who are in these rookie deals who, you know, think about Wilson and some of these folks. Um, we all know that football has, um, you know, other than what you get guaranteed up front on the signing, you know, everything else is 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 paper. You know, it's just it's just for the paper. It's not really substantive until the check actually comes. And so when you see these negotiations and you see 
some of the stuff happening with dads and, and some of the things that are going on? What are some of the things that you drew from, and what are some of the things that you see anything that's beginning to evolve and change about the game when you're thinking about, about that? Um, as far as the collusion piece goes, I don't I don't necessarily I'm I'm not I don't have a lot of sympathy for NFL players when it comes to their contracts. Um they just had a select collective bargaining. Um they just had a work you know, a lockout, a strike or whatever you want to call it, and they just put in place a new CBA. If they didn't like the contract structure and the way the system is set up, then they should have done something about it. You know, that's 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 me. You know, if yeah. If you are uh, an athlete and you have an opportunity to do something, you're a human being. You have an opportunity to address something that you are uncomfortable with and you don't address it, then that's your fault. Um, and so I'm not interested in hearing um, sour grapes from players and the Players Association about owners and whatnot. I, I could care less. Uh, I really could. With the owners and this idea of collusion, ultimately, to me, I don't think it's that. You know, it, it goes back to that old quote. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove in court. <laughs> yeah. So it's not collusion, you know, unless, you know, you can you can you can get a, get it uh get somebody indict somebody on it in the court of law. You know, my mom used to say, it ain't a foul unless the ref call it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's right. You know, you could you could walk around all you want talking about the mom, he found me, he found me, but a ref ain't calling it. Why ain't on, boy? You know what I mean? That's what I was taught. <laughs> You know, All right. quit whining about it and, and play your game, you know. So that's how I look at it. You know, as far as collusion, it's just, to me, that's just, you got to expect the owner to talk to another owner about contracts. You know, oh, would you, would, would, or GMs to talk to each other, team presidents to talk to each other. What do you think? And just asking each other from a professional standpoint, how many times have you consulted with another professional in your field? And just been mm-hmm. like simply, you know, what are your thoughts on this particular situation? You know, and I'm sure NFL GMs are calling each other like, what, what, what would you say the going rate for this particular player is? You know, would you pay this player this much? You know, what would you pay, pay him? You know, and maybe they don't disclose that information, but agents I'm sure do. I'm sure agents have those conversations. And, again, I'm sure there's some GMs, especially now when you have these, uh, like you have the Belichick coaching tree. You have – the Ron Wolf, the Bill Polian, you know, executive tree, where you have guys who have networks, and that's honestly how you get these jobs. It's through your network. Right. So you can't, you have to be an idiot to think that these guys don't communicate with one another, even though they may be competing. They are still there's a certain level of uh, you do me a solid, I do you a solid that goes on in any sort of competitive professional environment where, you know, yep, you work, you know. Give me a little information, and I'll scratch your back on the other side. You know, you ain't going to give me nothing that's going to get you an advantage. Again, as a coach, as a high school coach, I conversate with other coaches all the time. We discuss strategy. We talk about other teams. But if you ask me something about my team as it relates to your team, I ain't telling you nothing. <laughs> but I'll tell you everything you need to know about the other team. <laughs> you know, I exchange tape with other coaches, game film. I never give them footage of my team against the other team. I give them footage of the other team against somebody else. <laughs> and that goes on, you know. It's, a, it's a, And it's an understood exchange. Like, I don't expect them to give me tape of their squad. They're going to give me the game tape that they watch to scout somebody else with. And I, if I want tape for them, I got to get it from somebody else. And I'm sure that goes on in the NFL in a very different way. But 
it's, it's the idea that all these organizations, again, there's a network, and you work together and you help each other out as long as you don't put yourself at a disadvantage. And I don't have a problem with that. Again, if you don't like it, if the NFL players don't like it, then y'all know what? Y'all need to say collectively, we're going to do something about it. And until y'all at that point, if y'all ain't sweating it, I ain't sweating it. And if y'all ain't at a point where y'all going to collectively bargain for it, then it ain't that big of a deal. And it's not worth me whining about, talking about, or trying to address. Now, the Titans have not, I think their last, three of their last four number one picks have not signed in time to make it to camp. Now we have Mariota. And I'm not sure, I have, I've been checking the ticker, but I know when I looked yesterday, I haven't been on it today, um, wasn't signed, and, and we're moving close to everything. What do you make of that situation? He's he's looking for the um, uh, the, the clause where he can um, probably make I think it's around seven hundred thousand dollars would be part the of offset it. Land. Yeah, the, the offset, offset, the yeah. offset money. Yeah. So and, and so basically, yeah, what it, what it's saying is if they if they wind up cutting him in four years, right? Whatever they owe him, whatever guaranteed money they still owe him, they still have to pay him even if he signs with another team and he's getting paid from that team, then they still have to pay him the money. And they would like it so that if they have to cut him in four years that and he signs with another team, they don't have to pay him that money once he signs with that other team. Now, to me, this is operating with failure as the end goal. That's what I was trying to get. There you go. Talk to me. You know what I'm saying? You don't go into a situation where you're planning to fail. You know, you have to go into this because – Ultimately, every executive on the if they got to cut Mariota in uh in four years, all y'all gonna be out of a job anyway. So it ain't gonna be your money to spend. It ain't gonna be your money to worry about. <laughs> you feel me? So why are yeah. you guys bickering over uh, a clause in a contract that only comes into play if this guy is totally not what you thought he was, taking him number two? You know. So yeah. what this reeks of to me is. Uh, organizational insecurity. Um, and there seem to be some people within the organization, and this will worry me if I'm Marcus Mariota's people that don't believe in this young man. Um, because if, if if you truly believe in him, this this is a moot point. This is something you're not discussing. This is something that it's either in there or out, you know. Um, and if it's holding up the contract, talk to you just put it in and you move on because you know you made the right choice and this is the guy you think in four years, this isn't going to matter. So why am I sweating it now? You know, unless this is like the guy that gets the prenup, right? If you got to get a prenup, <laughs> then you don't think this is going to work out, you know, and I don't want to hear all that. You got to protect yourself. You got to protect yourself. If you got to protect yourself, then you didn't marry the right person. It's the same, on the flip side, it's the same as the chick that's got to check her man's phone all the time. If you got to check your man's phone, you with the wrong dude. <laughs> you obviously don't trust your own decision making. <laughs> so the guy that got to get the prenup, you know what I mean? And then the woman yes. that's going through her man's stuff, checking his emails, going through his cell phone, yes. you're both from the cut from the same cloth. You both don't trust your own decision-making skills. And if you don't trust your own decision-making skills, if you can't fully jump into this with all your heart and soul, then you made the wrong choice. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the litmus test right there. Yes. It's because he's number two pick. I'm like, why is this even an issue? It ain't like you picked him in the second round and argued with him. 
He's the number two pick. He's supposed to be there in four years. He's a, exactly. If you did the right thing, he's supposed, he's supposed to be, to be your guy for the next ten years. He's yeah. supposed to be your guy for the next ten years, and that's why you drafted him. You know, and that's the thing that sometimes yeah. bothers me about the draft process is that teams will pick guys, and if that's the guy you wanted, then keep him. You know what I mean? Like when the when the uh, when the Timberwolves traded Andrew Wiggins. You know what? Y'all spent months and months scouting this kid. If y'all y'all took him number one because y'all thought he was a superstar in the making. If you thought you had a superstar in the making, then keep the superstar in the making. That's what you picked him for. You know what I mean? Like forget that's what LeBron wants. You picked this kid because you thought he was a superstar in the making. At least that's what you said on draft night. Later, because you got LeBron, well he's not a super. He's not a superstar anymore. We just gonna move him. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't understand that. If you're going to do all the legwork of evaluating someone and figuring out what they're about and what they are, then you roll with that decision. You know, you roll with that choice if they are what, you, what you're what painting them to be. If they would have kept Andrew Wiggins, he would have been the next big, best next, next best thing to like Fred, you know. And if Mariota works out, all this doesn't matter. If he's what they drafted him to be, what they're selling their fans on, on draft night when they drafted the brother, this is what they drafted him for. They arguing like they got J.P. Lausman in the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, they thinking they got the next Achilles Smith the way they're trying to work this contract. So to me, that's, that's again, that's bad organizational. That's, a, that's organizational insecurity right there. Again, this is the organization that needs the prenup. This is the guy that needs the prenup. This is the girl that's running through that man's phone. You know, you obviously don't trust yourself, all right? You have some issues around your own judgment. You made some bad decisions in the past, and you're a little bit skittish and gun-shy about jumping into something. And if that's the case, then be by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the NFL has got a lot of stuff going on. And now we got NFL versus Tom Brady. I want to know, will boy wonder when? What's your what's your what's your thing? Will he, will boy wonder prevail? Will will the man? It with doesn't the matter if he wins or loses. The fact that it's gotten this far is a loss. I <laughs> the fact that it's even gotten this far is a straight up loss. It doesn't matter what a court of law would decide. Um, at this point, it is a loss. All right, because <laughs> in the end, if Tom Brady wants to go to court. Everything that he kept from the NFL becomes fair game. This is why you don't go to court. This is why Barry Bonds didn't sue nobody. This is why anytime these guys get caught up, get hit up for PEDs or whatever, and they I'm going to sue this person, they never follow through with those lawsuits because then, then you're under oath, and now perjury comes into play, and you got to speak the truth, nothing but the truth, right? And, and some guys, <laughs> some guys cannot do that. All right, some guys cannot. Rock like that. So, you know, Brady, I think, is in a lose-lose situation, right? The best-case scenario is he gets his suspension reduced to two games, in my opinion. And ultimately, I think that's what will will happen. Greg Hardy's suspension got reduced for something much more heinous. And I think, you know, Brady just needs to appeal because in a court of law, again, again, in a court of law, they're going to say, well, how did it come about that Goodell got to make this decision? Hmm? How did that happen? Why does he get to make mm-hmm. the decision? Oh, it was collectively bargained by the union that you're a part of? Well, brother, you got to play by the rules of the game. <laughs> you can't just get mad and throw a tantrum and decide you want to change the rules and go rogue. Your union, you know, collectively bargained that he gets to make these choices. He made the choice. You don't like the choice. There's an appeal process. 
right? Go through the appeals process. Why are you bringing this to court? You know, in my opinion, I think it gets thrown out because no court is going to, again, go against an organization when you have a union in place that represents you, and this was a collectively bargained um, situation. It is what it is, bro. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what do you want us to do? Yeah, brothers take a hit on bad public defenders all the time. You got a bad public defender. It's called the NFLP. Hey. <laughs> hey. hey, exactly. Exactly. That's your union. Again, I have no, I have no sympathy. And, again, I'm, I am the biggest Roger Goodell critic. Uh, our show, our brand, you know, we have branded him the habitual line stepper in our show. You know, and that's something you may not ever hear anybody talking about because they stole that from us. Uh, he is the habitual line stepper. There is a line that he constantly crosses as far as his authority as the commissioner of the league. But the players' union and the players' association and the players of the NFL have given him license to do such, and they have continued to do that. And so I have – I'm not hearing it. I'm, I don't I'm, – I'm the mama <laughs> that told you <laughs> – to get in the house before the lights came on and you came in after the lights, you knew the rules of the game and you didn't play it the way it needed to be played, and now you got a bunch of excuses, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. You listen I'm to not one mic. I love it. You listen to one mic here with uh, D. Wilson, our teacher man, blessing the mic tonight. you hearing him right now. He's the game changer. You know, he set the stage. You know, he came out the curtain throwing fire tonight. Uh, we just let him breathe and let the let the mic go. You know, I had to come in a little bit, sprinkle a little bit, but you know, this is how we do. We set it up and getting out the way. We let him just go deep. We gonna make a switch here and get to what a lot of y'all know this cat for. You know, he he can talk about a lot of different sports, but I always said there's very few in the game. I put him up against anybody when we start talking this this NBA game. And the NBA has been off the hook. And and we'll we'll get into that more of this that off the hookness and where it where the NBA's positioning given that, you know, these conversations are still happening and the season's over. We'll talk about that. But the story was the NBA had their own version of the Shark Tank. <laughs> And like I said on Twitter, I think he even got tanked. He got sharked. You, you got Jordan Cuban, man. I got to just sit back. And we were going back and forth on text messages and hitting back and forth. I just want to get out the court and let you just, what's your first reaction to all this? Okay. <laughs> the so, like the OJ, like OJ my, uh, 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 truck. You know, y'all texting me. I'm like, what's going on? So, Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, there was a flurry of texts that followed as this whole story blew up that particular day, um, that particular evening, night, whatever it was. You know, you follow it on Twitter and you hear the Clippers uh, have a meeting scheduled with DeAndre Jordan. You're like, okay, well, you know, I get it. You know, they're trying to make a final plea, trying to get the guy back. You know, it makes sense. They don't like what the the alternatives are. and They want to see if they can uh, – put something together and get this guy back. That makes sense. Then the tomfoolery that follows. <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, the situation itself is obviously comical. Um, it obviously calls the social media a whirlwind of uh, just jokes, 
emoji battles. I mean, there was just so much that surrounded this. This was a, akin to, you know, a fight in a cafeteria that takes place, and the aftermath of everybody talking about the fight and react, reenacting the fight and posting the fight and, and laughing and giggling about the fight, and, and it just lasted for forever, <laughs> what seemed like forever. Hours and hours of, you know, you got Blake Griffin tweeting out, you know, pictures of a chair against the door. <laughs> Talking about interior decorating. You know, you got stories of Mark Cuban driving around trying to get DeAndre Jordan's address <laughs> unsuccessfully. You know, so you have all of these different angles that are being played by reporters, the players involved. Ultimately, um, to me, again, I, I go back to my musical sensibilities. And, you know, I've grown up as a, as a 30-something right now. I kind of fell on the edge of being a Generation X and a millennial. Um, I have the sensibilities of Gen X because, you know, I was brought into this whole thing by older cousins who are, uh, you know, firmly rooted in, you know, the, the Generation X and the That's sensibilities right. of such. And so my sensibilities were informed by they saw as cool and how they define cool for me. And, you know, that has been carried on by guys like D. Wills and Ph.D., um, you know, who were who stepped into those roles as I was a young man growing up in college and such. And so my sensibilities are very much that of, of a Generation Xer. Um, and be that as it may, Generation X was able to to uh, witness the death of the R&B band, right? You know, our parents grew up with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Frankie Bay, uh, uh, Frankie Beverly and May, and, and groups like that, where you had you know uh, trios, quartets, quintets. You know, seven-piece bands, 25-piece bands, you know, of of brothers coming together, sisters coming together and working to make, working together to make music. Today, you couldn't name a band, a singing group, <laughs> right? The singing group today is dead, right? And so that this whole situation brought me back to the death of the singing group, right? And groups in general, because it's hard to now today to really truly find a rap group, a duo even, of two guys that are just like, we're a group. Like, we're a group. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's an individual with some boys on the side, like some guys that they just kind of work with. But everybody's doing their own thing because there's some flexibility with that. There's some, uh, some versatility and some agility with that from a business perspective that I understand. But at the same time, and the reason that, that that people have gone that way is because it is hard to work with other people, right? That's right. You know, that's why groups break up. It is hard to work with other people. You can go back to the new additions, the 112s, the Bell Biv DeVos, the Boys to Men's, you know, the jagged edges uh, of our of our younger years, you know, those mid-'90s singing groups that are kind of like the last of a dying breed, Um and they all broke up at different points. They all split, went their separate ways because it was difficult to manage the many egos that exist within the group dynamic, right? And that's what this whole scenario reminded me of. And this is why I think 
in today's world, the group is, the, the musical group is dead. And the reason the musical group is dead is because you have the third tier guy wanting to be the man. <laughs> and ultimately, in this Clipper situation, that's what it broke down to. You know what I mean? You got Preacher Boy from the Five Heartbreaks, right? Church Boy <laughs> wanting to be the least. You can't be Eddie Kane. <laughs> you ain't come from that cloth, brother. You know, and I think that's what ultimately killed the singing group. Brothers and sisters who were third tier and needed to be okay with being Horace Grant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mr. Dalvin and Devontae Swang wasn't going to cut it without Casey and JoJo, and they needed to know that. <laughs> they needed the group to break up and, and 15 years to pass for them to really understand it ain't going to pop without Casey and JoJo. You feel me? All right? Nobody's checking for Mr. the, the next <laughs> Mr. Dalvin and Devontae Swing Project. Nobody's interested. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody, you know, Bell Biv and DeVoe, Bell Biv DeVoe pops. You know, but wasn't nobody really feeling Ralph Transvan's joints without the rest of the guys in the group? Yeah, you know, right. you got to know who you are. you got to know how you guys complement each other. You know what I mean? You played yourself. You know what I mean? Same thing, you know, Tribe Called Quest breaks up. You know, uh, Ali Shaheed, you know, he, he jumps into Lucy Pearl. He's still the third fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you join another group, you're still the third guy. You know, so that's what I see in this situation, man. I see a third guy who was about to, you know, get his own record deal and realize he was finna go Ralph Trez back. Because, <laughs> you know, my man D, uh, PhD pointed it out. You know, now we're in this age where, you know, and I used to, I used to, I remember these uh, commercials that used to come on BET back when I watched BET, and BET was actually something that was interesting and informative to watch as a young black person. Um and they used to, you know, you'd be up late at night, and they would have, like, the uh, the uh, old-school cruises with, like, Sinbad as the host. <laughs> yeah, you know, Frankie Mays and Beverly and all these folks would be performing. The Ohio players would be performing. Well, now those groups from the 90s are filling up those uh, concert dockets. And these groups from the 90s are filling up these concert dockets. So PhD, you know, caught one of these 90s. 90s R&B concerts, and he was saying, you know, they had new addition there, and they had all the guys together. And so Bobby Brown did some hits, and everybody's rocking, and Johnny Gill did some hits, and, you know, everybody kind of like, okay, we got you, Johnny, you had some hits. And then Bell Bill DeVoe came out, and they did their thing because they had some hits. And then Ralph performed. And everybody was kind of like, oh, yeah, he did go solo, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> And that's what DeAndre Jordan was going to do to himself. And he realized that. His voice came in and saved him. Again, I don't care how much you don't get along with Chris Paul. Dog, you is not cut to be the lead man. Like, you're not, you you know, some guys just aren't. Every group is not Wu-Tang, right? Wu-Tang, unfortunately, set a bad precedent. They were the exception that proved the rule. Those guys were so talented that they were all, that many of them, were able to have viable solo careers. And then every group after that thought that that was the model, right? Not realizing that your third guy is just your third guy. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Speaking of guy, I mean, it was Aaron Hall. It was uh, it was Teddy Riley and the other dude. And DeAndre Jordan's the other dude. He's Devontae Swing. He's Dalvin. He's the other dude from God. You know, he's the two dudes in Jagged Edge who ain't twins. You know what I'm saying? That's who he is. <laughs> and you got to understand that he's everybody else in 112 other than the dude with the high voice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not the signature guy. You know what I mean? So, like, you ain't going to eat like you're eating on anybody else's on anybody else's table. And you can't set your own table. You know what I mean? I watched, uh, I recently watched the uh, James Brown movie, man. I, and I watched it after this whole, and that's what kind of brought me to this epiphany. I watched it after this whole DeAndre Jordan fiasco. I watched the James Brown movie, and it was uh, Bobby Bird. The, the, Bobby Bird had a quote in the movie, the character that played Bobby Bird, the way they portrayed Bobby Bird. He was having a, uh, a conversation with Maceo, and he told Maceo, he said, you know, Maceo was asking him, why do you take so much stuff off James? He's supposed to be your best friend, but he treats you like crap sometimes. And he says, yes, I know. You know, sometimes I don't want to get treated that way. But I also realize that in this band, I will walk taller than I ever will by myself. And every man in this band walks taller because James Brown is a genius. And we can all hold our heads up and say, we play in James Brown's band, and this is the baddest band in the world. You know, and yes, I may be in the background, but I'm in the background of James Brown's band, which is better than any other fool who's in the background of somebody else's band. And sometimes guys got to understand that. And that's where, that's, you know, and I know we go back and forth on Draymond, but that's the thing that I hope that I don't, I hope that doesn't get in Draymond's way is he get he gets that third guy complex where it's like, yeah, I'm the third guy, but I want to be the man. Dog. You, you you just want you're doing great where you're at, you know. It's good to be hungry, but also understand you're eating well. <laughs> you shouldn't be that hungry, you know. You should be hungry for success, not hungry, you know, for for the limelight. You know, I think that's the thing that guys get confused. They get limelight and and fame confused with success, and they're two different things. You know, be hungry for success. Don't necessarily be hungry for fame. Uh, those are two different things. They don't necessarily always go together. You know, they're not joined at the hip. And I think this whole fiasco, DeAndre Jordan came to the realization that he wasn't—he was chasing fame. He wasn't gonna—he wasn't going to a better situation from a basketball perspective. Any fan with half a half a brain who knows anything about basketball should be able to look at the moving parts of the situation and realize this ain't gonna work out for him from a numbers perspective as far as his production and impact on the court. He's not going to be the same impactful player. He's not going to be up for defensive player of the year next year. You know, he might not lead the league in rebounds next year. He's not going to shoot 70% from the field next season if he's in Dallas. This is just not going to go down that way. Um, But he would have been the franchise guy. He would have been more famous. He wouldn't have been more successful. And that's the thing that I think people got to understand. That's the decision that he he was choosing from. He was going to a weaker team again. He would have been more famous. He wouldn't have been more successful. And then on top of all of that, he was taking a pay cut to do it. Now, if you're going to go from being the third guy to top billing, you should get more money. <laughs> yeah. Because your shoulder in a bigger load, so to speak. Well, he was going to be taking a pay cut. So in all, in, 
when you look at all of the factors and all of the options, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning of this show, sometimes you can give people all the information and they still make a dumb choice. <laughs> you know, because they're not reading the TV the right way. And that's what you had here. And lucky for him, he was able to renege and he was able to go back on it and he was able to put himself back into a spot because without CP3's lobs, that brother's offensive game is lacking. It just is. It just is. Without, I mean, you got two of the best passers at their positions in the league, and you're trying to uh, – I where who's going to pass you the ball in Dallas? Nobody – you're not a back-to-the-basket center, man. You're not a dump it into you. You can't even shoot free throws. All people are going to do is foul them. I mean, come on, man. Anybody with half a basketball brain would have told them that. All they're gonna be, you can't be a go-to guy. You can't shoot free throws. And that's just me. Like, you you can't call yourself a go-to guy if all we got to do is foul you. And now, <laughs> now you're scared. Come on, man. You can't. You ain't no good. Come on. You ain't no That's why, again, Dwight Howard always been off on Why? Go-to guys got to hit free throws. If the strategy is just foul them, well, heck, they just going to foul you. And it's going to be a wrap. Make them shoot some free throws. So you hit on the renege part. So that brings Cuban in, who, who couldn't find. How does this guy got this much money, but he can't find out where Jordan lives? That, I don't, don't he got like a drone or something? He, he I guarantee, he, I own probably like two or three drones. He could have figured it out. <laughs> but what's your opinion on, 20, on in, him? Talk listen, about man, him. in twenty fifteen, how his brother couldn't find DeAndre Jordan's address? TMZ could have found it. <laughs> TMZ would have found it. Uh, Wojnarski from uh, Yahoo, he would have found it. <laughs> no boy from Yahoo finds everything. You know what I'm saying? Everything. Everything. So, so what was your reaction of uh, him and then the relationship with the with the agent? And the agent wasn't even there for the signing. When you start unpacking that, what's your, what's your reaction to all of that in Cuban and? Listen, and his DeAndre that. was getting taken for a ride, man. DeAndre Jordan is obviously a highly influenceable individual. Um, he's highly impressionable. Um, his agent was pushing him one way. Um, again, which all speaks poorly. Again, this is why you got to be third banana, dog. Like, this is your third banana. This is why you're third banana. You, you're letting your agent push you around. Then you, the team comes back in and they sway you one way. Dog, you need to be around people who can make decisions for you. All right? That's just the bottom line. That's what he needs. He, You know, he needs that. Um, and so his agent, you know, his agent was trying to hook his boy up. He was trying to hook his boy Cuban up. Cuban had been striking out the last couple of years. You know, Dirk probably got has a couple of years, a year or two left. Um, and he was trying to help his boy out. I think it's definitely a conflict of interest on his part. If I'm DeAndre Jordan, I might be looking for a different agent. And then the ultimate question for me, I, again, there are certain things I just don't understand. I would do things differently in this situation, I think. Um, obviously, I don't have all the information, but, again, sometimes you can give people all the information. They're still going to do what they're going to do. Um, but you, you're going to sign a max deal. What on God's green earth do you need with an agent? What is he negotiating? What is he bartering? Uh, what, what what opportunities is he open? Like, he, you're going to get a max contract. The number is the number. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you what are you trying to figure out? You know, the number is the number. 
and the number doesn't change. It's a max deal. The max deal is the max deal. The max is the max. And that's what he was going to get max from either the Clippers or he was going to get max from wherever he went. What do you even need an agent for anyway? You know, who's steering you in all these other different directions, you know, got you all looking all off to the side when you need to be focused on the road. Well, I don't and know. I think I part feel of like Trey trying part, to hook yeah. his boy up. Yeah, and I think sometimes the agent stuff is all, you know, once you get the money right, it's all the other ancillary things that go into it. It's the, you know, negotiating and, you know, access to things around tickets, family, you know, things on the, you know, other things that you know that you're trying to push your brand that the organization can provide space for you to do. But you're right, uh, the hardcore stuff, you know, what is he really influencing? And that said, that said a lot. The other piece that came into this conversation was Chris Paul, and I, I hit you up. I was like, you know, it's Chris Paul getting what I call the Zeke effect, you know, before Zeke won the championship and just the whole thing where, you know, uh, the brand around Chris Paul is beginning to change. And, you know, he's not getting as much positive. Uh, now you have this thing coming between he and DeAndre, and that's one of the reasons he's leaving. And, you know, Chris's relationship with other players on the team. You know, I know you're a big fan of Chris Paul, but, I, you know, and he – reports about him being highly upset around this stuff. How do you see Chris Paul in this situation and, and where he needs to go, given where he's at right now as a leader? Um, so, you know, and Kobe Bryant said this a couple of years ago, you know, CP3, Derrick Rose, these are guys that he pointed out who are cut from the same cloth as far as their mentality towards winning and their feroc- the ferocity at which, they go about doing their business on the basketball court where he felt were, you know, in line with, with his style of play and his style of intensity. Um, and we all know, don't nobody like to play with Kobe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kobe's a guy that nobody wants to play with. And and Chris Paul, and, and, and the thing that people have to understand is, is that, Again, during the Kobe era, the Lakers never signed no big free agents, prime free agents. Why? Because maybe people didn't really want to play with Kobe if they had a choice to go somewhere else, all right? And so Chris Paul needs to really start to realize that as your skills diminish, that attitude kind of wears that, that, whole, that whole game you play kind of starts to uh, get old. And guys start to kind of look at other situations um, as a lot more favorable. And so what kind of a teammate you are matters. You know, I think it's why the Spurs can, you know, wake up out of a coma, get into a meeting, and sign the biggest free agent. You know, again, when was the last time the Spurs were really in the hunt for somebody? They pick and choose when they want to get involved, and when they do get involved, they usually get the people that they want. Um, and then they can be sleeping in a coffin, until the guy that they want is available, and then they just pop up and say, look, man, we got Tim Duncan, man. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take less money to make sure you get here. He's going to be deferential. You know, he wants to win. You want to win. You know, he ain't going to get in your way. You know, we're going to let you get your shine. We're going to let you be famous, and you'll be successful. So let's get this going. You know, and that's all the Spurs got to come in and do. And But that's because they have a superstar who understands how to lead. And yep. when you – are leading, you have to understand how to motivate people. You got sometimes you got to make the twelve guys feel like the most gifted dude in the world, and that's what makes LeBron special. 
I mean, Della Dovo on any other team, he's not doing what he did. He's not. I don't even think he's even given that level of effort that he did in the finals. Why? Because he knew that level of effort was appreciated. Um, whether he could make shots, perform, or not, LeBron is. I I feel I feel LeBron is empowered Della Dova to do what Della Dova did, and that was a direct result of the kind of leadership they have on that team. Now, if you got a guy who's going to lead the, your team because of you, who's willing to take less money, go to a worse situation. You got to start to look in the mirror at yourself and figure out. And I'm, I'm a Chris Paul. I love his ferocity. I love sure. the way he competes. But I also, I also understand how to lead people. And when you're managing people, you got to understand how not to alienate people. Again, this is why the group breaks up. This is why the R&B group died. You know, the guy at the front. You know, Beyonce really didn't know how to make the other girls in Destiny's Child feel like they mattered. And sometimes you got. Again, if you run in a business, you gotta make everybody from the custodian to the CEO, right up to to the second operating officer in the building, feel like they matter and they're valuable. If you want to be successful as an organization, you know the popcorn guy gotta take pride in selling popcorn. You know the the dude that sweeps the stadium has to take pride in sweeping the stadium. The guy that folds the towels has to take pride in folding the towels if you're gonna be a top-notch organization. And you have to, whoever's at the top has to instill that in everybody below them that they matter and they're important no matter how menial their job is, all the jobs matter in making the whole machine go. You know, the smallest screw, the smallest cog still is a part of the machine and needs to work and do its job for the machine to run well. And, you know, that's what sometimes the the lead singer, the the guy at the front of the mic, you know, doesn't understand that. You know, and again, watching the James Brown bio, biopic, man, it it, it it was illustrated in James. You know, you got to learn from people like that, that it don't work in the end. You wind up lonely and unsuccessful <laughs> at some point, you know, looking back on all the success you did have when your pals were at your peak and people were willing to put up with all of the madness you drove them through. If you want longevity, you got to figure out how to empower people. And, and so that you can keep surrounding yourself with people who, when your talent starts to diminish, they may be more talented than you. Um, and that's the ultimate trick. And I think to an extent, that's the, that's the trick that Jay-Z has figured out how to pull off time and time again, is how does he get himself surrounded by people who are talented, all right, who are talented and uh on the way up, I mean, he signs J. Cole. You know, he signed, you know, he had Benny Siegel and those guys on Rockefeller sounding the best they ever sounded in their lives. You know, so, you know, he, he figures out how to how to find people who are just a challenge, put them in a position to do what they do, but also get out of their way and make them feel important. Sometimes you got to do that. You know, and, and CP3's got to figure out. He's got he's to take that next step in his leadership if he's going to lead that team anywhere. Now, Doc is... Doc Rivers himself has done a better job of GMing on paper this summer. They just signed Josh Smith today. They brought in Paul Pierce. They brought in Lance Stevenson. So they're tightening up on the wing. They still need another big. But uh, ultimately they've made some good moves. We'll see how it all pans out. I thought they made good moves last summer, but those moves, those were some farts. <laughs> those moves did not go well. <laughs> It, it was hard to they tell. They did not they pop. Yeah. I mean, and those yeah. are players that had played consistently, if they just played what they played before, 
it would have been good for the team. But yeah, you didn't expect some of those cats to drop off the way they they dropped off. Um, yeah. Well, the whole idea around all this was because of this thing around the moratorium. What's been in your opinion around that period and having the moratorium? And you know, what's your opinion around that? This is what I hate about social media and where we are as a culture, as far as <clears throat> as far as responding to um, situations that think people need to let things marinate for a little bit. What would we do otherwise? <laughs> like, what's the like? That's the thing. Like, what's the alternative? You know, like what? What actually is bad about this system? That a dude who is wishy washy changed his mind. Honestly, that's actually why it's in place. It's so that guys can go through a vetting process and make the best decision for them. And ultimately, I don't think anybody could argue that DeAndre Jordan eventually came to the best possible conclusion. Like going to Dallas would have been a mistake for him. And so isn't that the whole point of the system is so that guys can make the best decisions possible? He should have gone about it a different way. I'm not a fan of DeAndre Jordan because of this situation, right? It has told me a lot about his personality and his character, and there are things that I find unflattering, all right? With that said, this is what the system is in place for, you know, and he hadn't signed nothing. He didn't sign a contract and go against the contract. He didn't sign nothing. You know what I mean? It's a part of the process. I don't care if that uh, – what's his face? uh Mark Cuban's out in the cold. He's just out in the cold. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like it is what it is. You got to move on, and you got to you got to go to Plan B, C, or D. You know that's what you. That's why you at the top. <laughs> that's why you make the decision. And, and what's crazy about it is, it was probably enough for him to see that he was being manipulated. You know, it probably took right. a chance to say like, "Wow, this stuff's not right." You know, he started having conversations, putting that stuff together, and like, okay, this guy is really trying to push me in it. But what's great about it, you know, and there's been a lot of chatter, both on Twitter and you and I on here. Uh, you can catch me at uh, RSG uh, D Wills, and you can catch uh, uh, the Game Changer at RS, uh, RSG Game Changer um, on Twitter. Catch us out. We always have some great stuff. We got my boy Teron Briggs out there, and others. Uh, my guy Lamar, y'all here? Come on. We're always going back and forth with others on Twitter. So join us in the Twitter sphere. Um, but. Uh, uh, there's a lot of energy around the, the NBA. I mean, this is like multiple, you know, off seasons where we've had these kind of things, and it seems like the NBA is getting more and more landscape around uh, at these times and in a way that the NFL has been able to master. Like NBA all the time, you feel like. Do you feel like the NBA has closed that gap a little bit between the NFL and, you know, I don't think it will ever close it completely, but do you think it's closed the gap in terms of that? that energy and that popularity and owning space that's in non-basketball time? I think the gap is closing. I think it's still a wide gap. And the reason I say that um, is because of the state that we live in. I live in, I live in Wisconsin. You work in Wisconsin, right? Yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks are trying to get uh, finance for a new stadium. Um, if, this were, if this were the Green Bay Packers, done deal. Done deal, right? Done deal. I think that's where, you know, the NBA still has some ground and growth. It, it, it's still an Irving game. Like, hipsters 
love the NBA. Like urban white dudes love the NBA, right? Black guys, we love the NBA, yeah. right? Middle America bubble and, and you know, Ray, Ray Joe, you know, Joe Lee Jr., you know, they don't mess with the NBA like that, you know, and until it gets – because they don't – they didn't play no ball, right? When you get out to the – when you get out to the sticks, these cats don't play ball, you know, and when they did, they, they knew it was, they knew they was going to get run by the city boy, right? And so it's not something that they, that they resonate with. It's not, not something that they're connected to. They don't have that connection to it the way they do football because – they play football and they play football from Pee Wee up on, on up, and they feel good about that. And that's why they love football. And football is always sports that connect. They use Rams and the football. They use Rams and the football. Exactly right, because yeah, because the city boys, was, they didn't have good equipment. They hadn't played no pop Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So they ran the city boys. So football is something that they more they they feel more of a connection to, and the rosters are bigger. And for me, I think that plays a big part in, in why football is so big. So many people relate to it. So many people played it, you know. And, again, so many people played it in the video games. The popularity of Madden itself, I think, has put the NFL at, at a place. You know, the thing that's interesting, though, and I will say the NBA is carving out an interesting piece of real estate for itself, is that, you know, working in a high school, you don't hear young bloods talking about playing Madison, Madden no more. They're talking about 2K. You know, so that's yeah. that's an interesting piece of it. You know, as this next gen- next generation matures, you know, they're not talking about Madden the way we used to talk about Madden when we were coming up with Madden. If you couldn't play in Madden, there was something. Wrong. If you couldn't, if you had no Madden skills, you know that that was there was something wrong with you. You know, you wasn't. Yeah. What was your, what was your problem? Was you some kind of geek? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you had to have some Madden skills to have any sort of credibility, and it wasn't even street cred. It was just like kid cred. Like, you had to be – you wasn't a real kid. If you wasn't a real guy, yeah, a dude, uh, uh, somebody I wanted to hang around with, if you couldn't, you know, give me a good game of Madden, I was I was good on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, I think there is a piece of real estate that the NBA is carving out. Um, it does have a core population um, that is moving beyond – what it traditionally was was inner city and then young kids. Um, I think there are more 25 to 35-year-olds who are into the league. And I think as that as – that, and I think a part of that is because the league is covered, I think, better than any other league. Like the writing and the way the NBA is covered through sites like Grantland and True Hoop, uh, I think they've opened up avenues for teams to be covered in ways that I don't think football and sports like baseball may may necessarily lend themselves to. Um, And because of that, you have geeks like me watching Summer League. You know, you have people writing about Summer League. You have people talking about guys in Summer League. Um, The sport is, is different in that way. It lends itself to a different type of media consumption that I think fits more with to today's kind of a young adult male um, than maybe the NFL does. Um, but, again, it's more of an urban feel to it. Uh, until we can start to tap into that middle America market, I don't know if the NFL, the NBA, the NFL will be dethroned. Um, but the NBA is, has carved out its own block, right? So the NFL yeah. is, 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 is uh, 
the the Barksdale and and Bell conglomerate, and they've been running the streets for a minute. The NBA has its own little niche, and is is the young Marlo Stansfield who you know needs to make a couple moves <laughs> to be able to move in and really take over West Baltimore, but they ain't on it yet. They ain't on yeah, it yet. B&B still got it on lock. And, and they're going to mess around and run it, run it, don't run it, you know, walk into that park and run into an A-line right there uh, thinking you're going to meet the Greek. It ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Talk about summer league. What's been some of your favorite summer league moments? Oh, man, summer league. Uh, again, you can't get you over really You can't get what you really learn from summer yeah, league. Yeah, let's talk about that because with summer league, you know, some people poo-poo summer league and say, oh, you can't really take nothing from it. If you know what you're looking, if you know what you're looking at, you can. You have to be informed. And summer league is not for the casual fan. Like the casual fan is not going to be able to, like casual fan guy. You shouldn't talk about summer league basketball unless you really are into the league because you will get hyped off of some nonsense, right? You're like, well, this guy just scored 25 points, you know, and and had six assists. And yeah, nah, he's not gonna make it. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't you can't get hyped off the box score. What you're really looking for in summer league is you're looking for the second second year guys, um, lottery picks, top five guys who are playing in summer league, um, and what improvements have they made? Have they gotten bigger? Have they gotten stronger? Are they shooting the ball better? You're looking at you know some third maybe maybe some third year guys. Are they adding something different to their game? You know, is there a piece of their game that you see them working on? Like, those are the things that you can see, but you can only see that if you know who these guys are to begin with, right? You've got to have an understanding of who, uh, you know, Aaron Gordon is as a basketball player to be able to watch him in summer league and decipher whether or not he's going to take a step the next year. Um, You've got to kind of have an idea of who he is as a player and what he's added. And unless you follow a league, you're not going to know that. You're not going to be able to see – you know, those kind of things, whether or not a guy like Shabazz Napier is really taking a step forward, you know, in his development, because you don't know what he was doing before that. You know, somebody uh, along the lines of a uh, Marcus Smart, who just broke, looked like he broke his wrist tonight, um, looked like he broke his wrist in the game. Um, but guys like that who were first-round picks, who may who may have been on good teams, who may be beginning to step into a bigger role, um that's what I look for when I'm looking at summer league. And what have those guys added? Are they ready to kind of take another step? Are they ready to kind of get some league, some big time minutes in the league um, beyond what they've done? Uh, but it's never about the box score when I watch. I'm watching what are they actually like? Not how many points you score, but how you score. You know, not what you you know how many steals you got, but what did you do on defense? Did you guard? How'd you guard? You know, all those kind of things are, are the things that I'm looking at when I'm watching summer league. And that's what I think what can be learned. You can start to see small trends and small inklings of player development and players kind of adding different things to the game. And that's what's fun for me to watch, you know, as a guy who is really into the league and watching how games develop, right? That's what I really like. I like to see how different types of players and body types uh, figure out how to be effective you know, different types of guys with different skill sets, figure out how to make their skill set effective in the league. That's really intriguing to me, and that's what I like with summer league because you get to see uh, that process at its rawest form of guys experimenting with different things in summer league games. Um, so that's what I like about the summer league. Some of my favorite moments, um, I like, I've enjoyed watching Carl Anthony Towns play. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think people yeah. are sleeping on how uh, how good he's going to be. Um, he's going to be a monster. Um, again, there's some guys who can can will be great, um, and some guys who you know we can see right. Like he he he's made for today's game. Um, another guy, you know, the the Porzingis and Okafor matchup. Um, was really, really intriguing to watch. Uh, I like Okafor, but I think if Okafor wants to be a great player, he's got to learn how to shoot free throws. Um, because, again, yeah. the strategy then becomes just follow. I mean, seriously, as a coach, just follow. Like, all those fails, just follow, dude. Like, we'll get somebody else in and they'll follow him too. Like, when the, when that's the most effective defensive strategy, you limit yourself because everybody can foul you, right? If you can hit free throws, then not everybody can guard you. Right, they're only they're only about a handful of guys in the league. Even as a as a as a raw rookie, they're only a handful of guys on the league who can guard Jaleel Okafor on the block. But every single body in the league can foul him, right? And so that can't be the the strategy against you. That can't be the most effective defensive strategy because then you open yourself up to be guarded by anybody. You know what I'm saying? Because if it's easier to foul you, then you can back me down. But when you get ready to shoot, I'm gonna wrap you up. <laughs> and make yeah. him go through some free throws. You know what I'm saying? So if Jaleel Okafor wants to be great, he has got to learn how to shoot free throws. If he learns how to shoot free throws, he's a surefire Hall of Fame player. I, 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 no doubt about it, Jaleel Okafor will be a surefire Hall of Fame player. If he can shoot 60% from the line, during, if he can get there at any point in his career, his offensive game is to the point where he's going to be very, very difficult to deal with on a low block. He is a very good – that's what I like about both him and Towns. They're very good passers out of the double team. And that's all the pick and roll is. Pick and roll creates a double team, and then you pass out of it or you score. And post play can do – the postman can come back when we start developing bigs who can pass. When we start developing yeah. bigs who can pass, then post play is going to be back in vogue because all the pick and roll does is create a double team. And then you pass out of it, you make two guys guard one, and then you pass out of it or you score. Right, depending upon how they guard it. If you got a guy who can shoot, then he can shoot it, depending upon how they cover it, or he can attack the basket, or he can hit the roll man. But you pass out of it. You know, most pick and rolls, I probably say, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would probably estimate 60% of pick and rolls probably end up with a pass, right? You pass out of the pick and roll. Double team on a low block creates the same dynamic. Now, coaches can get more, have to figure out how to be creative with the movement off the ball. But if you've got a quality big, you know, the big man can come back in, in today's NBA and still be very effective. The post game ain't dead. It's just we have developed posts who don't know how to pass. And once we develop posts who can pass out of a double team, and Carl Anthony Towns can do that, and so can Jibril Okafor. Okafor's just got to become a better free throw shooter. If he, wants to be, if he wants to max out, if he wants to max out his potential, he needs to become a better free throw shooter. If he becomes a better free throw shooter, there's nothing you can do with him on the block. <laughs> Yeah, and if you watch the most Carl Malone, then Carl Malone improved. I mean, so there's a lot of guys who Duncan who did. You know, Duncan, Duncan did. was yeah. a mediocre. Blake Griffin became a, a much better. Tyson Chandler, you can name the guys who yeah. have become better free throw shooters, and it's possible. You know, that's why I also look at guys like DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard and even a guy like Shaq and, you know, you could have figured it out. You didn't want to. You know, ultimately, you didn't want to figure it out. You know, and, you know, 
there are the stories that Shaq work with work with people. It's not a, it's not it's nothing anybody can give you. People can't make you concentrate. <laughs> people can't make you focus. You know, people can't. You know, they they want somebody to, and that's the thing. You know, great players don't expect anybody to fix it for them. When you got to bring in a shot guru, you know, to help you with free throws, you want somebody else to fix it for you. Man, make the shot. It's an unguarded shot. Make it. You know what I mean? Like figure yeah. out how to make the shot. Do what you got to do. Put the ball in the basket. You know, all of those guys could have been. Dwight Howard could still be an effective player today if he if he if he could make free throws. He was he would still be an effective offensive player today. Today his offense is extremely limited because he can't make free throws. Period. You know, so, so Okafor's got to learn how to make free throws. We we going and I'm, I'm gonna mix this up a little bit because I want you to bless the mic. I was gonna have you do it with a topic, but I want you to bless the mic since we're at this, we got this NBA thing with your assessment of uh, Adam Silver in terms of his, what, his first full season um, in the NBA as commissioner. What's your overall assessment of what he's done and how he's moved uh, moved the game? Absolutely, man. I like Adam Silver. I like what he's done so far. I think he's been very straightforward. I think he's been very open about um, – I think he's been sensible. I think he's been open about different things in the league. I think he's been sensible. Sometimes with David Stern, you feel like he was always giving you uh, a line. Like he wasn't always being um, 100 with you. Uh, where I feel like Silver is usually straight up and kind of sensible about what he's doing. And he can tell you why he's doing what he's doing and why he thinks it's the right thing to do. Where I think sometimes Stern, Stern came at you like he was your dad. You know, he had kind of a paternalistic feel to him where he would say, this is what we're doing, and we're doing it because I said we're doing it. You know, I'm the commissioner. And you need to do that sometimes, but sometimes you also need to let in on your thought process and the rationale as to why you're doing the things that you're doing. And Silver does a good job of doing that. You know, he had his press conference this week, and he talked about a couple of different things. You know, he talked about, you know, the new money coming into the league and how they're going to have to look at it, you know, and hopefully he's not looking for a work stoppage, but that's something that, you know, he can't rule out. That's an honest answer. That's an honest answer, and that answer makes sense to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's always my litmus test. Did that make sense? And it made sense to me. You know, and then you also have, you know, you talked about expansion, and he said, you know what, right now we're in a good spot. You know, as far as talent goes, the talent is spread pretty well. Um, the money is going around pretty well. We don't really need to expand. We don't really need to split this pie any further than it, than it has been. And ultimately, you know, he was being honest there, but ultimately what he was also saying is <laughs> if you haven't gotten your team in arena, Las Vegas and Seattle are still out there waiting, and they ain't getting no franchises no time soon unless one of your squads move. So get an arena. So in that sense, he helped his owners out, providing a little bit of leverage, saying that we're not looking to expand. So basically, you know, make sure your team's got an arena or they'll be going to Vegas or they'll be going to Seattle. You know what I mean? So he put that out there. And you know he also talked about you know he's not going to change any 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 anything around the moratorium or anything around um, the 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 free throw the the free, hacker guy strategy. He's not going to change those things. Uh, it, it, I like that he's not a knee jerk type of guy. Um, it feels like he's very thoughtful. Um, he's very likable. Um, he's very affable. Um, so I think all those things play well, um, or at least have played well with me 
when I'm looking at Adam Silver, um, I've enjoyed uh, his first couple years at the helm of the league, and I think he's done a solid job of, of helping the league continue to grow and continue to go in a positive direction. Um, and, again, I think it's because he's very honest and forthcoming about his thought process around the decisions that he makes. I think that's that's refreshing. Well, this is what one Mike when I when I thought about this concept, you know, this nearly ninety minutes of you just hitting us with just incredible nuggets of what it's what it's all about. And um you know, this is why I love, you know, doing this show and we've been trying to build it and add new pieces. Um and, and this one mic for me was is really what this was like the feature who I think are some of the, the brightest minds, upcoming minds in, in, in sports talk, you know, hitting you with something, you know, different and doing it in a way that they can just breathe and just talk. It's not a 10-minute or 5-minute or 3-minute we're up against the clock. But this is like letting them just, just you know, hit their bars. And, and you know, it, you know it's, it's 16 here, 32 there, wherever it might be, but it's, let them do their bars. And normally I would drop the mic at the end. I would close it out. But because I got my guy, how we do it, man. You know, we like Wu-Tang. We hired our unique cat. You know, we don't have any DeAndre Jordans in the group. You know, we just, do, you know, we can do these albums where we can do it. Don't try to copy us. You know, don't try to copy us. You know, you're, you're more like uh, New Edition where you got some Ralph Trezvans in the group. You know, we right. So, so, I'm going to just step back and let my guy, the game treasure, change it, drop the mic to end this out. Hey, brother, thanks for being here with me tonight. Till next time, y'all, we're going to let game change it, drop the mic to close us out. Well, for the mic drop, I'm, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Becky. I'm going to give a shout-out to Becky Hammond. Uh, Becky Hammond is coaching summer league. You know, I'm a guy who coaches girls. Um, she is a woman coaching men, and I, coaching is coaching, and working with people is working with people. And you know, I'm 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 proud that the NBA continues to be at the forefront of breaking down some of these barriers that have existed within our society for a long time. Having very uh, you know a woman uh, be the head of the uh, NBA Players Association, having a lot of uh, diverse people um, in executive positions, African Americans, Asians. Latinos in executive positions within the league, women um, having prominent roles within the league, women referees, et cetera, et cetera. The NBA has always been at the forefront of change, and that's one reason that I'm I'm proud to be a fan of the league um, and a fan of what it represents. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Becky Hammond, um, coaching summer league for the Spurs. Again, San Antonio Spurs, class organization, um, always doing things um, in a way that 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 is innovative and forward-thinking and, you know, just a model of how to run a sports franchise and how to run a sports-related organization. Um, and I'm proud to be able to kind of watch them do what they do um, and kind of steal from their blueprint when I have an opportunity to. So shout-out to the Spurs. Shout-out to Becky Hammond for breaking ground and being a true game-changer.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.